Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual summer writers conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Thank you, Gertrude, and hola, listeners. Welcome to Episode 22 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I am your host, Eric Fritjus. This week's episode features Part 2 of our two-part conversation between author Lee Maynard and West Virginia Writers First Vice President Kat Pleska. Now, if you missed last week's episode, you should probably go catch up and listen to that first. While you're at it, you should also have a listen to my interview with Kat Pleska from back in Episode 4, as well as the Kat Pleska outtakes from that interview that we used in Podcast Bonus Show Number 3. Both of those episodes are linked up at our website, wvwriters.org slash podcast.html. Lee Maynard's new book, released in October, is called The Pale Light of Sunset, Scattershots and Hallucinations in an Imagined Life. It borrows its structure from that of memoir, skipping around in the events of the life of its main character. While the book is in memoir form, though, and occasionally draws upon events from Lee's life to inform its stories, the majority of this book is actually fiction. However, there is a particular event in the book that remained entirely unchanged from that of Lee's life. And that is where we're going to open up part two of the conversation this week. Well, there, there's one story. You, we were talking about what's true and what's not. There's one story in there that is absolutely 100% true. I did not embellish it in any way, shape, or form. Care to take a guess what it is? Well, I would have guessed the one where you were born or the one where your father died. No. Burying Elisha? No, it's the one about the hornets. Oh, oh my gosh. The, 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 the first encounter the with first, the hornets? The first hornet. Hornet I, one. That was just, I don't know how, how you survived that. Uh, if your mother I, stopped counting at 70 stings and yeah, you were a small yeah. boy, I don't know why that didn't kill you. I don't either. She was crying. Was for one thing. Uh, she probably thought I was going to die. I was like, I looked like a balloon. I'm sure you did. And uh, to this, I was preschool cat, and yeah. I remember that crystal you have to. clear. Now you have to be. Yeah. You have to clear. remember that. My very first memory. In fact, I just got revising that chapter in my memoir. Is actually about watching my great grandmother die. Mm-hmm. And she she had this white light that washed over her, and there was a kind of a golden, faint golden light around her little tiny body. Mm-hmm. And it seems as if, I was five, and it seems as if that's the moment that I came into being. As I watched her die, it was when there was an awakening, an aware, a consciousness or something. Mm-hmm. I'm suddenly aware that I'm separate from everything else and I am who I am. Mm-hmm. And those mem- moments, I don't care how, early, how young you are, you know, it's kind of like where you began. Mm-hmm. You began with hornets. And I, I began, began with my with great grandmother hornets. dying. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I didn't begin in 1936. I was yeah. a newborn. I, you know, yes. most of that comes from what my brother dug up. And is it just you and your brother? Are the only two siblings? Yeah. You wrote. You keep wanting to take your writing to to new risky places, but it's hard. So why keep pushing? Well, I think that's what we do. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. 
I think if we get satisfied with what we've done, it's probably over, you know? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think, do you realize that writing is, is one of those things that you can keep doing as long as you can think? Yes. I mean, you can't, you can't keep being, uh, 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 what, a surgeon? Sooner or later, your hands won't take it. But, uh, writers, I mean, as long as we can think, we can probably keep doing it. But we better keep pushing it, or there's no reason for us to do it. Well, because the world doesn't need another book. No. God, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Absolutely it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I, I perform a, a historical character. I interpret her. Her mm-hmm. name is Frances B. Johnston. Mm-hmm. She was a famous photographer at the turn of the last century. Mm-hmm. When She died when she was 88 years old in 1952, and she was doing her photography up within a, just a few months of her mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. And it's like writing. As long as you can hold your head up and have a th- clear enough thought to get it on the paper, I can't imagine ever stopping. Well, I, I fear the day. Well, yeah, me too. And, and I think what we better keep in mind is that I really believe that within the natural balance of things, when you stop producing and stop performing and stop being useful, you just get stopped. Yes. And, uh, yeah. you know, both my grandfathers did that. They retired and and died and died in a very short period of time. Yes, and and I mean, maybe that scares me a little, but not really because I think I think as long as I can think, I'll keep trying to tell these dumb little stories. You know, and, <laughs> these wonderful little stories. <laughs> what reaction do you anticipate after all, all these years after Crumb uh, to your to your new book? The new book being pale light. Yes, the new book being pale light. You know, I don't know. It, it's a, as you know from reading it, Cat. It's very different from uh, Crumb or Cannibals. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse Stone's not even in there. You know? No, he's not. That's right. <laughs> well, he is actually. Yeah. Because there's a chapter out of Crumb, the the goodbye thing at the river. Yes. Yes. Except that's that right. you know that's from Crumb, but he was not named in that book. Oh, okay. Remember, he was nameless. That's right. That's right. And he didn't get a name until Cannibals, and then okay. I had to give him the name. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Uh, people that have read this so far have liked it a lot, and uh, I just hope that continues. Um, where the book will go, Cat, I don't have any idea. Yeah. I never do. I just not something we can really worry about because we can't do anything about not my it. It job. is what it is. It is what it's it not is. your job. It's not my job. Yeah. My job's over. It's up to somebody else now. I I went off on this tangent while I was reading your book and was thinking about uh, referencing the, what I mentioned earlier about the violence. I was thinking about Cormac McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And particularly No Country for Old Men. Have mm-hmm. you seen that movie? Seen the movie, read the book. Yes. And and it strikes me in McCormick McCarthy's books that there is evil there, and violence happens mm-hmm. because of that evil, but the evil doesn't seem to have... He personifies evil as just this thing that moves across the landscape, and it has to do bad things. There's yeah. no consciousness behind it. That's what evil it. does. That's yeah. right. And what's scarier is the violence that happens, like in pale light, uh, not by the protagonist, but by other people. Mm-hmm. That is a conscious evil. Mm-hmm. And I think that's scarier, mm-hmm. even than what McCarthy well, sure did. I mean, a lot of, like in, in McCarthy's uh, The Road, yeah. and, and I am envious as hell. I, I, 
I want him to write that book. Yes. <laughs> 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 then we all. <laughs> I wanted to write that book. I've thought about that book for years before, you know, and I just never got around to it. But I'm not saying that I could have equaled his feet there. But, um, you know, there was that was a scary book. Every yeah. page I thought, when is the bad crap going to come down? Um but in in the when when the protagonist moves through pale light, the violence happens not always because of evil per se. It can happen because that's what happened at the time. It's like those kids um, in the river scene where he's leaving Crumb, yes. and they and they attempt to beat him up, and they do a pretty good job of it. You know what? Those kids weren't evil. No. That's what you did. Yes. And and so uh, some of that stuff is just part of everyday life, and, and there's violence all around us. And basically, I just if it happens to the protagonist, I almost said me. If it happens to the protagonist, I've been very careful about not saying you. I've been very careful about saying protagonist. I've noticed that, and I thank you for that. <laughs> and that's very accurate. Yes. Yeah. Well, even if it was a memoir, you're still not quite the same person. I mean, the narrator's never really the author and yeah. the narrator are different, and that's yeah. a, that's a distinction that's difficult to to grasp. But I think it's very important because just just in the act of writing it, it's a, it's another slice of us when we do that. And, uh, it is. Uh, I think that the quote in the front of the book, uh, "The end is nothing; the road is all." Is that where Cormac McCarthy got that quote? Uh, do you think? I don't know, but but Willa Cather said that. Yes, Willa uh, Cather. And um, I, you know, and I, boy, that is just so succinct. And it's like, uh, and you can put any kind of words in education. Education is not a destination; it's a journey. Life is not a destination; it's a journey. Yes. And yeah. so she put it more eloquently in a very few words, and and. Um, yes, she did because I the just, journey is the thing. The journey is the thing. Yeah. I mean, did you ever go on a trip and? When you got where you were going, it was good, and you were glad you were there. But when you get home, what you talk about is the trip. You know, oh, we saw this, we did this, we had, you know. And and it's like, here's a classic example. You go on a river trip, really good river trip, through the Grand Canyon. And you get to the end, you get to the destination. There's nothing there. (laughs) The whole thing was the trip. That's There's right. really nothing there at yes. the end of that trip. It's a takeout place that'll put you in mud up to your knees, <laughs> and that's it. It's a it's a slog and a pain in the ass to get out of there. It was the trip. Absolutely. So to me, that's a metaphor for just about everything that yeah. I think happens to me. It's yeah. it's the trip. Yes. I when I went to Cairo, you know, people say, "Oh, did you see the pyramids?" And I said, "Yes, I did." You mm-hmm. know, it was fascinating to put your hand right on. The yeah. side of one of those and say, maybe a pharaoh had put their hand yeah. right there. 3,000 years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. But to me, it was the little things that happened. I went into a shop, and I was, you know, getting ready to haggle, because that's a sign of respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you must haggle. And uh, this man stepped into the door, and he just blew me away at how, how incredibly gorgeous he was. His eyes were gold. And I... I'm standing there, you know, eyeballs, big saucers, looking at that. Then he disappears out the door. I leave my girlfriend standing. I go out the door, following him. I'm just like, 
how can any human being be that gorgeous? Yeah, exactly. You know? A god. And I'm, you know, I'm running out in the street, and I can't find him. He's not there. You know, I go, I go down the street, and I realize that in a heartbeat, I'm going to be lost. And this was way before cell phones. You know, yeah, there was absolutely. no way. And I thought, oh shit, I've got to give up this trip. <laughs> but I, I mean, is he real? I just wanted to touch him. Like, are you real? Well, just think about that for a minute, Cat. You were running outside looking for God. <laughs> I was. And if you'd have been there, you'd have found him. Yes. God, I would have just had to just say, can I just stare at you just a little bit longer? <laughs> that's great. Although know, those are the things. That's that's what happens. See, the that's the, see, that's the story. Yes. That's the story. <laughs> uh, you know, of course, I'm happily married, and I've told my husband that story. You know, he's just like, yeah, well, you know, he's he's very accommodating to my Sense of imagination. Well, he's a good man. Yes, he is. Who has influenced your writing? Do you think? Do you think there is one? You know, I, I people compare my writing to, like as I said earlier, to some really heavyweight folks, but I don't really. I'm not sure anyone has influenced it. I, I just try to write whatever comes out and um, I guess if I wanted to be like somebody it would probably be more like uh, Hemingway I love reading Faulkner but he's a little obtuse every now and then yeah, he is. And, you know I don't to me obtuseness is not the purpose of the writing mm -mm. but as far as influences cat I, I don't know that you know, I don't know that I ever picked up a book, with the exception of Hemingway. And, you know, Hemingway fell out of favor there among the uh, people who didn't like his violence and his darkness. And, and God, I loved it. Oh, I, I did too. I'm a huge it. fan of Hemingway. Oh, me too. I think I, mean, I love your writing more because there's a lyricism to it. There is a depth of understanding of human nature that it's not just the protagonist moves here and the protagonist moves over there and does this and does that. There's a sense of awareness that you include in your writing that's, it's that interior life. You talking about me? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you write prettier than Hemingway, okay? <laughs> thank, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that very much. You do. There's a poet, there's a, there was a poetry to your writing that I think, um, is not in Hemingway's. That I particularly like. Yeah, Hemingway would have said, "I'm not macho enough." When I read my <laughs> stuff, I think, "Oh, the guy's nuts." You know? <laughs> so tell me, what is one or two things that you know for sure? Wow, Cat, I don't know anything for sure, and I don't know anyone in this world who does, and if they say they do, they're wrong. <laughs> or lying. Or lying. <laughs> you know, I, I, really, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, some people, the older they get, boy, the more positive they are about such and such, and I'm just the bloody opposite. The older I get, the less I understand I really know. So I don't, I don't know that I know other than some uh, laws of physics that are pretty hard to disprove. <laughs> you know, if you drop something, that's probably going to hit the ground. <laughs> But other than that, and I'm sure you're talking about writing or, or the artistic world, I don't, Kat, I don't know anything for sure. I, um, and you know what? 
I think I would be very disappointed if I did, if I thought I knew something for sure. The whole uncertainty of life, to me, is kind of one of the great mysteries and one of the great things. What's going to happen next? If a guy said to me, I am a, uh, I can see the future. And if you want, I'll write down, you know, when you're going to die and how. I don't want to know that. I don't want to know that. No. Good heavens. Who would want to know that? Not me. Hell, I want to, I want to step out of the boat on the riverbank someday and just fall over dead. You know, I just, you know. Absolutely. Don't want to die sleeping with my boots on. I, I mean, yeah, in bed. I mean, I, I just, I want to be in the middle of something. D- Doug Imbrogno asked me, uh, in writing, um, if, if I could dictate this, where do I want to die and how? Or I think he said, where do I want to die? And, and I think my response to that is, I want it to be in the warmth and the bright sunshine. Beyond that, I don't care. Yeah. I don't want to die in the dark and the cold. No, no, you know? no. I don't want to, you know, rats die like that. I, I don't, want to, I don't yeah. want to die like that. I think I want to be in the middle of a whoopee. <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? Just right in the middle of <laughs> Right in the middle of it, you and know? Just fall over stone cold. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And I also think that the older I'm getting, the more I realize I don't know, and the more exciting that is. You, you know, when you're younger, you're nervous about that, you know, as you're trying to find your way in life and world. But now it's like, oh, damn, this is... This is a blessing. This is cool. Yeah, I, mean, I get to figure this out. I get to remain curious. Well, sure. Where, where, is, where is the mystery and the excitement if you're so damn sure you know everything? Yeah. I mean, what's that all about? That ain't me. It ain't you. No, it's not me. So, I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, uh, we just remain students of life. I hope so. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I sort of look at people that they're so sure they know everything, and I'm thinking... Pal, you've got a big surprise coming. Yes. It could be the next five minutes, you know. Absolutely. Thank you, Lee. I You're really quite welcome. This. this has been more fun than one old guy ought to have. That concludes Cat's conversation with Lee Maynard. I'd like to thank Cat once again for conducting this interview and West Virginia Public Radio in Charleston for allowing her to use their studios to talk with Lee. Allow me to assure you that this is not the last we'll be hearing from either of them on this podcast, as there were quite a few outtakes from their conversation that I have saved for future bonus shows. We also have a recorded live reading from Lee Maynard's new book that he read at his appearance at the West Virginia Book Festival, and we'll be playing that soon. Also, I'd like to remind you that Mr. Maynard will once again be one of the workshop presenters at the 2010 West Virginia Writers Summer Conference. That's June 11th through the 13th at Cedar Lakes in Ripley. In fact, I'm told he'll be taking part in a panel discussion alongside fellow West Virginia luminaries Denise Giardina and Gretchen Moran Laskus. If that's not incentive to keep your June calendar clear, I don't know what is. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, who also composed the soundtrack for the audio adaptation of Crumb, produced by Mountain Whispers Audiobooks. This podcast has been produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County. <laughs>